Let's pray together. Oh God, we just prayed our prayer with the corral. Make me, transform me, shape me, shape us into instruments of your peace so that in your nail-scarred hands, Lord Jesus, you can turn this world upside down one last time. Let the teaching today be clear. Give us the grace and the courage to follow. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen. It has really been an honor for me this week to sit where you're sitting and to listen to preachers here at Andrews University, young preachers, step into this pulpit morning and night, answering the question, why God? Why think about God and at this moment in our journey toward his dream. And we have been, speaking for the community of this university, we have been blessed to the max. You know what also blesses me? Is that you don't have to be a theology major to step into this pulpit. You don't have to be a seminarian. You can be animal husbandry. You can be focusing on neuroscience. Pre-med, accounting, whatever God has called you to, he's also given you a voice and a heart for him. And we saw it. And I, my soul was watered this week. So the question was, why God? Now, today, is the final piece. Why us? We got the God part clear. I mean, it was powerful. But why us? Let me read a line from Scripture to you. It goes like this. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. One line. Why us? Aren't you glad you're not a disciple back then? I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like? Have you ever tried to conjure up what it felt like to be stoned. I mean, to be stone-stoned. There is only one instance in sacred literature where a victim survives the stoning, and we're going to go to that, uh, that incident. There's something here. We've got to find it. Open your Bible to the book of Acts. Open your Bible to the book of Acts. Let's go. We need to lead up to this dramatic moment, so we'll pick it up at the end of Acts chapter 13. Didn't bring a Bible? Pull the pew Bible out in front of you. It'll be the same translation today, the New King James Version, and the page number in the Pew Bible is 744. What would it be like to be stoned? Let's find out. Acts chapter, we'll pick it up in Acts 13. Acts chapter 13, what is this, verse 49? Let's, let's fly into this, this, this narrative. 1349, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. What region? This, they're in today's Turkey, Asia Minor. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They're the two heroes of this story. Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. Verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them. 
You see, they're disciples of the master. And the master said, look, you go to a town and nobody receives you. What you do is when you leave the town, just, just shake the dust off of your sandals. What you're saying is, hey, listen, guys, we really wanted to help. We tried to help. You are on your own now. Just shake the dust off. Get on to the next city. So they did as the master said. They shook the dust off from their feet. And they came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with the joy and with the Holy Spirit. Tell you what, when you follow this master, that's what gets into you, the joy and the Holy Spirit. Two gifts when you follow the master, when you become his disciple. Now, where in the world are they moving as they go to Iconium? So let's put, we're not going to go to the back of the Andrew study, Bible. we've got some very fine maps. And most good Bibles have a map for Paul's missionary journeys. It'd be map 13 in the Andrew Study Bible. But let's go to Nassau. Hey, Nassau, did you take satellite pictures of Asia Minor? Could we see where this story is transpiring? So here's Nassau's photography from outer space. You see the big Antioch on this side? That's, that's just uh, north of Jerusalem, so that you, you see Israel down there. You see Cyprus. Follow the dots. They went to Cyprus, great island. Then they're up now into Asia Minor, and you see an Antioch up on the top left side. You see Antioch. They have just gotten booted out of Antioch, shake the dust off. They're going now, dropping down to Iconium. Then they're going to end up in Lystra, where this dramatic narrative takes place. But let's go to Iconium. Let's just pick it up. This is what it was like being a disciple back then. We're now in chapter 14. Let's drop down to verse 4. So they're in Iconium now, but the multitude of that city was divided, part sided with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe. People say that whenever, wherever Paul went, he either started a revival or a revolution, some kind of revolt. He was always in trouble. Every city. Iconium. Word is that they're going to stone them. So, listen, trust me, you don't want to be stoned. So, verse 6, they became aware of it, fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. So, they're now in Lystra, a small little Roman colony founded by Caesar Augustus years ago. And so it happened one day somewhere in this tiny little city, Paul is just preaching his heart out at the top of his lungs. He's talking about Jesus of Nazareth and what this God who became human has done in his own life. And what he had hoped happened, the crowd began to gather, spilling soon over the sidewalks into the street. Soon this, the, the uh, traffic is congested. More people are coming, precisely what Paul wants. And so now they're just, they're just choking this, this major thoroughfare in Lystra. While Paul, at the, at the top of his lung, because you have to preach loud when you have an outdoor crowd, while he's preaching, he notices sitting there on the curb, there is a man atop lifeless limbs. I mean, we're talking about just two little vegetable sticks. That's all they are. But the man is just locked, just locked onto Paul. Paul looks down and realizes the man is hanging on every word he speaks. Paul locks onto those eyes. Tell you what, when you do public communication, as these, as these preachers this last week showed us, eye contact is everything. You have to have the eye contact. And when you have the eye contact, you're immediately thinking, what is happening in her mind? What is happening in his mind? Paul locks onto those eyes who won't move from his face. And Paul realizes, here is a real live moment for a supernatural miracle on behalf of the real life God he serves. 
So locking onto those eyes and not taking his eyes off. Uh, we'll pick, the, pick the verse up, verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard, this is verse 9. Now, this man heard Paul speaking, and Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said to him with a loud voice in the Greek, megalephone, loud. I mean, this is just an announcement to the whole city. With a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And the man leaped and walked. And the crowd goes berserk because everybody knows from birth he has never walked. The man is leaping. And the crowd, verse 11, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Paul and Barnabas are standing there. They cannot understand a single word the group is saying. Kind of like here at Andrews when you, when you step into a group and they're all speaking tongues. You step into a group and suddenly you realize that everybody in this group is speaking Korean. It feels awkward when everybody's talking Korean. You can't speak it. But kamsamida and you leave. You step into a group, they're all speaking Portuguese. You say obrigado and you leave. You step into another group, they're all speaking Spanish. Muchas gracias and you're out of there. Serbian because that's the fourth language group. They're all speaking Serbian. You can't understand a word. Havala leap when you leave. It is awkward when you're in a group and they're talking about you and you have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> but Paul and Barnabas weren't born yesterday. And they know that when you're talking to somebody who you, whom you cannot understand, you just watch the fingers. And the gestures are clear. The, the crowd's pointing at them, they're pointing up, pointing at them, pointing up, pointing at them. They finally realize, good grief. They think we're gods and they're about to worship us. Watch. The priest comes up the road with two oxen, be garland for uh, slaughter. Verse 13. No, let, let, let's pick it up. Verse 13. And Barnabas, the crowd is calling Zeus, have mercy. And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker in verse 13. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they finally figured it out. Don't understand a word. They realize what's happening. They do what every good Jew does in the presence of public blasphemy. They just, they just rip their suits. Just buttons popping. Because a Jew, when a Jew encounters blasphemy, that is the ultimate sin. And what's blasphemy? It's when you attribute to a human being what belongs to God alone. They're about to slit the necks of these two bulls and worship them. And so they go flying out in the crowd. What is this? Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran out into the multitude, crying out and saying, verse 15, People, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you. And preach to you, you should turn from these useless things. Forget Zeus. Forget Hermes. You should turn to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all things that are in them. And I wish you'd hit the pause button right there. Because if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, that is precisely the message you're to take to your little world. Paul and Barnabas quote directly from the fourth commandment. In fact, I, I went to the, uh, the, uh, the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, and I cut it out of the... Uh, Cut it out and pasted it beside the actual Greek language that Dr. Luke uses here. It is a direct quote. The Lord, who, the Lord God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. Why share the fourth commandment? Why share the Sabbath commandment? Because it's the only commandment of the ten that tells the truth about the Creator. Now listen. In an age and a culture and a society that have rejected the Creator, 
we might, I don't care what our age is, we might learn something from these two disciples, Paul and Barnabas. Namely, don't be afraid. Hey, guys, don't be afraid to raise your voice in defense of the Creator. Not that He needs defense, but sometimes He needs just somebody in that circle to speak up and say, <clears throat> excuse me, what about, what about the Creator? Don't be afraid to raise your voice in defense of the Creator's seventh-day Sabbath. I know the crowd's not going to go. The crowd will not be persuaded, but somebody has to speak up, and you're the appointed one. You're the only one in that circle. Speak up. Paul and Barnabas, in the midst of this moment, they're, they're about to be worshipped. The fourth commandment. So they said, listen, turn from these useless, these useless gods to the living God who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all things in them, and pick it up in verse 16. This God who who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he, they're still, they're still, they're crying out to this multitude who's getting closer and closer. They're going to slit the necks. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness. Hey, stop, stop, stop. And that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven. By the way, Zeus was considered the God of rainfall. Not, no, our, the true God, the creator God. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And now notice verse 18. And with these things, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. They barely stopped. They almost slaughtered the oxen and bowed down to worship Zeus and Hermes, who were just Barnabas and Paul. As the recent events in the Middle East have reminded us, crowd, contro crowd control is a volatile undertaking. Cairo, what's going on right now? Benghazi. Gaza City, Damascus. All it takes is a few headstrong alpha males to whip up a mob into a frenzy. And that's what happens here. Verse 19. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and by the way, that's a 100-mile trip by, by foot. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, obviously a few days have, have had to go by. Just, this doesn't happen. I used to think it just happened, boom, 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 boom. Probably not. They continue to move into the city. They continue to win converts, and we'll see converts gathering around in just a moment. So days later, kind of like, uh, what's the name of that uh, police constable in Les Miserables? What's the name of that guy? Uh, what? what? Javert. Yeah, just like Javert. They're not going to back off. They're hunting. Fellow Jews, hunting them down. 100-plus mile trip. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, this has to be the Jews, because stoning was only used by Jews to execute, not the Greeks, not the Romans. Verse 19, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. I cannot imagine what, what it would be like to experience a stoning. Now, I've been hit by a hard object. I was playing golf once with a professor on this campus and a student, just three of us. I'm not gonna, the professor's not even 
on this campus anymore, so I'm not going to tell you who he is. He left here. Went to Loma Linda, he's dean of the School of Religion out there, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm playing golf with this professor and another student, so there are three of us. Now this professor is very good, very good. I mean, just pshh, embarrassing to play with him, but it's fun fellowship. So I said, listen, I'm, my, my ball's way off, so I'm going to make my way up to my ball to get ready so that when he's through back there, I'll be ready, and I'll uh, just pew, try to do better next time. While I'm walking there, I'm almost at my ball. I tell you the truth, this would be the one time his, his ball is just utterly errant. And at a speed of probably 527 miles an hour, <laughs> that little white ball just right here in the, what the Koreans call the kundingi. And I tell you what, it hurt bad. I can't imagine. Can you imagine massive stones just being thrown, not here, but at your head? I cannot imagine death by stoning. And yet they stone Paul to death, drag his bruised and bloody torso out of the city, good riddance of bad rubbish, and they leave. Unbelievable. The story gets even better. This is my favorite verse right here. Verse 20. So there he is, maimed, beaten to a pulp. Verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around him, see, I told you, there's, Paul and Barnabas have been at work for a while. They have plural disciples. In fact, we know one of the disciples by name, young, young Timothy. Ever heard of Timothy? This was the town. This was the time Timothy gets one to the Lord Jesus Christ and chooses to become a disciple of Jesus. So there's Timothy. Timothy has a mother. What's her name? Eunice. He has a grandmother. What's her name? Lois. So we know at least three by name in that little circle. And Barnabas. And here is the mangled form of Paul. And they're huddled around him. The mob, is, the mob action is over. Just like Benghazi. It's over. You can go home now. But here is this mangled torso, and they're sobbing. What do you think they're doing? They're sobbing. He's dead. Oh, wow. Don't, do you think it occurred to Timothy? Man, if you follow this, this Jesus of Nazareth, it's a dangerous game being a disciple of that master. Don't you suppose it occurred to him? Are you sure? Weeping, huddled. I love the way, I love the way uh, Acts of the Apostles describes it. By the way, Acts of the Apostles tells us that Paul believes he's going to die. Wouldn't you? And by the way, Acts of the Apostles tells us also that Paul remembered another stoning where he stood at the side and didn't lift a finger to stop it. He's thinking Stephen, the first martyr, as the rocks, her, finally one, knocks the lights out. Ask the apostles, describes the next moment. I like this. Let's put it on the screen. What was their surprise when in the midst of their lamentations, the apostle suddenly lifted up his head? I mean, what would you do? He's dead. It was like a mini-resurrection, wasn't it? Just like he got raised. 
In the midst of the lamentation, the apostle suddenly lifted up his head and he rose to his feet with the praise of God upon his lips. Keep reading to the believers this unexpected, I mean, he was dead. This unexpected restoration of God's servant was regarded as a miracle of divine power and seemed to set the signet of heaven upon their change of belief. Keep reading. They rejoiced with inexpressible gladness and praised God with renewed faith. The head goes up. Now look it. The bloody bruises are still there. The pain is still there. The head goes up. I know he had praise on his lips, but when, when they tried to help up, I'm sure there was, oh, 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 careful, 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 careful. God doesn't mask the consequences of following him. You're going to be a disciple? He doesn't give you a Tylenol first. Sometimes you just live with that headache for a while. Paul pushes himself up. He says, let's go back to town. Wow. F.F. Bruce, in his wonderful book, if you ever get this book and get a chance to read it, title of the book, Paul, Apostle of the Heart Set Free, F.F. Bruce, I'll put his words on the screen for you, observes, whatever his physical disabilities were, Paul had an extraordinarily tough and resilient constitution and remarkable staying power, often knocked down, but never knocked out, as his words in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 9 have been paraphrased, end quote. He was no wimp. He is not a weakling. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ takes every ounce of strength you have. Wimps need not apply. Oh, no, 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 no. Let me rephrase that. Wimps must apply. For when you follow the master, what have been your fears, you learn to swallow. And where you were timid, you become bold. Weakling, apply here. He's the one master you want to follow. Wow. However, verse 20, when the disciples gathered around him, Paul rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed and Barnabas, he and Barnabas departed to Derbe. And now here comes the verse we've been heading towards, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned. They returned, <coughs> excuse me, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, the three cities where they were driven out. Can you believe that? Talking about guts, they go back to where they were persecuted. Wow. Something happens to you, I guess, when this master becomes yours. Something changes, and you're never the same again. I'm intrigued, by the way, with that one little line. Verse 21, very intrigued, because there's one little word in that one little line that we have too easily overlooked. And I want you to get the word right now. Pull out your study guide. You got a study guide in the, in the uh, worship bulletin today? Thank you, ushers. Let's, let's just make sure that everybody gets a study guide. Because why God? We've been looking all week at who this God is. But now, why us? And how can we be what he's always dreamed to have? G grab that study guide. It's in your worship bulletin. Here comes the ushers. Hold your hand up. We'll make sure that uh, the ushers come your way up in the balcony as well, please. Those of you watching on television, we're... Of course, very glad to have you joining us today. We're wrapping up a little mini-series, To Be Friends. This is part three. This is it. To Be Friends, title of today's teaching, Grow, capital G-R-O-W, Grow into all the world. 
And you see our website there at the bottom of your screen right now, www.pmchurch.tv. If you go to that website, you're looking for this mini-series 2, the number 2, the letter B, to be friends. And this is part 3, grow into all the world, where it says study guide under part 3. Click on, you'll have the, you'll have the same study guide. Let's go. What's that one little word? Jot it down. Jot it down. Acts 14, verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned. That's the little word that we forget. The word and is there. Do you see that? When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned. That and is a big deal simply because most Christians, and I want to say most Adventists, don't even see it there. Most of us have forgotten the and. We think that the Gospel Commission is just one action. Preach the Gospel in all the world. When in fact it is two. Would you jot that down? It is two. Preach the Gospel and... and make disciples. And we, we have specialized on preach the Gospel. Hallelujah. Oh, by the way, two weeks from last night, in Niles... In the back of your, uh, your worship bulletin, you see I Perceive. There's a website there for the details of what I Perceive is all about. But I wish you'd start praying. Two weeks from last night in Niles, we're going to take nine nights, and I'm going to lecture for nine nights in a brand new kind of setting. We're going to try something a little more informal. What? Sharing the truth about Jesus. Two weeks from last night. Love to have you, by the way. Particularly if you have a friend in this area, you got a friend in the dorm who hasn't come to know Jesus yet, bring that friend. Just a, look, at what are we talking about? How many miles is it to Niles? What? Eight miles? Eight miles to Niles, please. You got friends, you, you might know somebody in Niles. Bring those folks in Niles. Anywhere in Michigan. We were in South Bend two years ago, St. Joe, last uh, winter at the same time. Now we're in Niles, the, the last of the three. And I hope you'll come. I perceive. Pray for it. Two weeks from last night. We got that part down. We do the public communication, the public proclamation part down. We think that the gospel commission is one action, preach the gospel, when in fact it is two, preach the gospel and make disciples. By the way, let me, as long as we're talking about that second half, one week from today, right now, don't miss it, we're going to have the president of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists in this pulpit preaching. And the title of his sermon, a week from today, The Cost of Discipleship, dovetailing perfectly with what we're wrapping up today. In fact, I get, to, I get to do this. I get to interview him for about 10 to, 10 to 13 minutes just, just before he gets up to preach because some big stuff is happening on the North American continent right now, something called NY13. We'll ask him about it. There are, there's a big deal about women in ministry. We'll ask him about that as well. We'll have a conversation right up here. Dan Jackson, the president of the North American Division. Next Sabbath, be right here. You, you, you'll hear him. He's going to focus on that second part. We do the first part well, proclaim the gospel, and, and, from Paul and Barnabas, no, 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 we've got to make many disciples. No wonder, by the way, since we've forgotten the second half, they call the Great Commission, let's put this down in your study guide, they call the Great Commission the Great Omission. I mean, we forget, we just leave the second half out. Don't believe me? Take a look at Jesus' own words. Let's take a look at Jesus' specific command to those who are disciples of His. Go to the last words of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. Let's go back to Matthew 28. Let's turn a few books back. You're in Acts. Go back to Matthew 28. The very last words, bright red if you have a red-letter Bible. Matthew ends with the words of Christ. Look what Jesus said. I mean, how did I miss this? How did I miss this? Matthew chapter 28. Let's pick it up. This will be uh, page 672 in your pew Bible. Let's pick it up in verse 18. Jesus speaking. And Jesus came and spoke to them. These are his disciples. 
And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I am, I am the supreme commander of this entire universe. I have that authority now, and I want to give you a command. So here comes a command. Oh, we've known these words all our lives, probably. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Verse 19, go therefore. And what are the next two words? And what? Make disciples. By the way, the Greek word there is the identical Greek word in Acts chapter 14. What Paul and Barnabas made many of, Jesus is saying, go and do. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. There it is. Go and make disciples of all nations. Clearly, would you jot this down? Clearly, what Jesus commands us to do, he expects us to do. He says, look, I got all authority. I am the supreme one in the entire universe. And I'm asking you, if you are a disciple of mine, I am commanding you. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Clearly, what Jesus commands us to do, he expects us to do. Jot it, out, jot it down again. Make disciples. In fact, would you keep writing? Disciples making new disciples is the heart of the Great Commission. That's what it is. How do we know? Because Jesus said so. How do we know? Because Jesus did so. Pastor Esther gave me a, a new book of hers uh, written by David Buring, titled the book, The Jesus Blueprint, Rediscovering His Original Plan for Changing the World. I'm fascinated with this man's description of how Jesus went about making disciples because if he's the master, then probably we do it in a, in, in a similar way. He's, he's poured over the book of Matthew, and he's come up with four essential ingredients to disciple-making. I'll share these four with you and then sit down. Four of them. Four secrets to making disciples. Grab your pen. Here, here, here is uh, an essential ingredient number one, a commitment to teaching truth. A commitment to teaching truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In fact, you know what? The red letters in all four Gospels, you put all the red letters together, what are they? It's just one massive corpus of his teaching. He was teaching his disciples. And anybody who would follow him says, just read the red letters. Read the red letters. I'm teaching you how to follow the Master. I am the capital T. I am the capital T, T truth, which, by the way, is a huge challenge to our postmodern pluralism that rejects any notion. Some of you are studying postmodernism. Postmodern pluralism rejects any notion of a capital T truth in favor of the suggestion that you have your truth, little t, and I have my truth, little t, and she has her truth, little t. We all have little t truths. None of us is bound by the other's little t truth. No, no, no. Jesus steps into this postmodern era. Disciple-making, jot this down. Disciple-making in the third millennium, by definition, challenges postmodern pluralism and declares that truth is embodied in one being, who is the only credible master to follow, one being. I am. I am the truth. Follow me. So if I choose to follow Jesus and become a disciple of his, then I, 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 have, to, I have to grapple with this capital T truth. By the way, our new grow groups, that's precisely what they're premised on, capital T truth. So whether you, grow the, whether you join the grow group for Ragaball, and Pastor Jose is leading out in that group, whether you join the grow group, and I went through the catalog here, I saw one called Movies, Music, and Messiah. Well, you, you join that grow group. It sounds like an interesting, interesting one to me. It doesn't matter which grow group you join. In fact, we have a grow group called Contagious Adventist. You join Contagious Adventist, it's going to be about capital T truth. 
Four ingredients for, for successful disciple-making. Number one, a commitment to teaching truth. Jot it down. Number two, a context of community. Context of community. David Buring, quoting him, disciple-making takes place in the context of relationships. Relationships. Hence the title of this little mini-series, To Be Friends. Jesus said, I've called you friends. I want you to love each other. Become friends even as I have loved you. Our new grow groups are premised on this, this second ingredient as well, 15 to 20 people, 10, 10 to 12 weeks. One of those 10 to 12 weeks will be just a party night. Another one will be a service day. The whole point is putting people together. New friendships, 10 to 12 weeks. We grow together. Three, four ingredients from the life of Jesus in disciple-making. Number one, a commitment to teaching truth. Number two, context of community. Jot down number three, a culture of obeying Jesus. Here's a provocative line. A culture of obeying Jesus. Here's David Buring. Jot it down. Following Jesus actually means following Jesus. Isn't that something? Italicize it. Following Jesus actually means following Jesus. Jesus modeled obedience. He said, I must be obedient to the Father and the Spirit. They watched. They got the message. They went out. In fact, uh, Buring makes a list. I like this. Let me just, just, just share this with you. How did the disciples follow the Master? Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. They did. Jesus told them to lay hands on the sick. They did. Jesus taught them to pray. They did. Jesus taught them to fear God, not man. They did. Jesus told them to preach the gospel throughout the whole world. They did. Jesus taught them to operate in faith. They did. Philip was led by the Spirit to the chariot to speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. He followed. Peter was told by the Spirit to go to Cornelius' home. He did. Paul was asked by Jesus to carry his name to the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. He did. Jesus commanded his disciples to make disciples. They did. It's a culture of obeying Christ. And then, right after he gives this list, I'll put the words on the screen. Buring writes, I like this, Obedience begins when we do what the Scriptures say, and it continues as we obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit in the midst of everyday life. Sometimes obedience requires us to hurdle our own fears and to step outside of our comfort zones. You know what, fellow disciple of Jesus? If we only operated in our comfort zones, we'd never grow. Say, I never want to get in front of people. I never want to get in front of people. If you stay in that and somebody gives you an opportunity to stand up and share your testimony, if you stay in your comfort zone, you will never grow. This culture of obeying Christ is going to draw us out of our fears, stepping outside of our comfort zones. Now, Buren goes on. There are times, look, let's be honest, we're going to miss it. We'll need to humbly acknowledge it. Man, I just blew that. That was awful. I hope nobody was there. But they were. Okay. There are times when we'll miss it and we'll need to humbly acknowledge it. Let me tell you something. You think that the boy who gets up here every week and stands behind this bulb, oh, boy, this is no big deal to him. No, it's a big deal. It's tough. And there are times when you know it just didn't go well at all. And you don't have to have your wife tell you. In fact, she knows better than to even bring it up. Guys, we have to step out of our comfort zone. If Jesus is asking you to do something as his disciple, he'll give you the guts. He'll give you the courage. And watch this. If you pray, Jesus, 
Look, I don't know what's going to be happening in 2013. I don't know what's going to be happening this semester. But if you want me at some point to get up and say what you mean to me, point out that moment when it happens, and I promise you, by your grace, I'll get up and I'll say something. I'll walk all over my tongue. I'll, get my, I'll stumble. But Jesus, just, just help me. If you pray that prayer, you're going to get an invitation. He wants you to grow. He's not worried about what people think about you. You say, well, I don't, like, I don't want to look like a fool in front of everybody. It's not about what we look like. It's about what he looks like. And sometimes the girl who stumbles gets her tang tangled. That girl is actually more persuasive. Why? Because she's authentic. You know, it's not like this little... She's not a wind-up doll. She's just, she's just her. She's she. That guy, when he gets up there and says, I forgot his line. Man, what am I supposed to say now? Forget it. It's no big deal. Your authenticity is what Jesus uses to draw a heart straight to his mind and heart. He uses everybody. So get out of your comfort zone. Ask God to take you out of your comfort zone this semester. I promise you, he'll catch you by surprise one day. He'll come up in class, and there's a moment when you're going to need to say something because you're the only guy that's thinking, you're the only, only girl thinking that right now. Boom, that moment will come. And Jesus says, okay, now, let's just try it in this classroom. I think you'll do fine. Speak, and you'll do fine. God will honor you. Oh, there are times when we'll miss it and we'll need to humbly acknowledge it while learning for the next time. Yeah, I'm learning, I'm learning. When we get it right and our lives are impacted, though, wow, talk about growing and being encouraged, end quote. Our new grow groups are going to affirm this kind of living in radical obedience to Jesus. Just follow Jesus. Join a grow group. You're going you're to get pushed a little bit out of your comfort zone. Maybe, I don't know, most of the groups will be extremely comfortable, but you might choose to step out of your comfort zone. Why not? Okay, there are four of these. Here's the last one, then I'll sit down. Number four, a charge. What are these, the, the essential ingredients to disciple-making? When we watch the master. Okay, this, this is the master. He is the best of the best disciple-makers. We watch him. We find out there is also a charge to reproduce. You've got to reproduce. And are we surprised that Jesus would come up with reproduce? No, because he's the creator of the universe. And when he got finished creating our planet, do you remember what he said? Be fruitful and... What do he say? Be fruitful and... Multiply. That has always been God's strategic M.O. in growing his kingdom. It's always through reproduction. So the chimpanzees reproduce chimps. Giraffes reproduce giraffes. Humans reproduce humans. You can reproduce yourself. Don't get any ideas, but you can do it. What's the point? The point is be fruitful and multiply. That's the way he works. Christians reproduce Christians. Disciples reproduce disciples. Ooh, A.W. Tozer, the great writer of spirituality in the mid-20th century. I'll put Tozer's line on the screen for you. Fill it in, please. Only a disciple can make a disciple. A non-disciple cannot make a disciple. It's impossible. You can only make what you are. Like produces like. Like reproduces like. You got to be a disciple. But the command is, once you become a disciple, go make others for me, please. David Buring goes along. Let's put Buring on the screen. Jesus intended for the kingdom of God to be advanced through disciples reproducing disciples. Ladies and gentlemen, that continues to remain Jesus' solitary strategic plan. He has no other plan. There's no other plan. This is it. 
<laughs> I'm going to reach the human race by disciples, making, reproducing disciples. I don't, have, I don't have a plan B. This is it. Well, Lord Jesus, if you're the master and I'm your disciple, then I want to follow your plan. You want me to become a disciple maker? I'll become a disciple maker. By the way, Contagious Adventist, you sign up to that group. There are four sections in that group. Brand new videos, by the way, we're just now releasing. We produce them. You're going to love them. Sign up for Contagious Adventist. That will teach you how to become a disciple maker. You become a disciple maker. Wow. Go and make disciples, Jesus said. Go and make disciples, please, of all the nations. And so Paul and Barnabas did. Disciples, reproducing disciples. And for that reason, our new grow groups are premised on that plan. And by the way, when you sign up, you get ready for a high seas adventure. High seas. This will move you. This will grow you. This will place you where you've always dreamed to be but haven't gotten yet. Follow the master. Follow the master. And let him grow you into a disciple-making disciple. Because not only, by the way, will you become a disciple, not only will you be trained to become a disciple-maker yourself, guess what? You become just like Jesus. And that's the whole point, isn't it? Following Jesus actually means following Jesus. So who do you follow? Who do you follow? Take out your, take out your Connect card, would you please, for this last moment. Pull out the Connect card. It's in your uh, worship bulletin. This little white card here. Guess we're delighted to have you. Pull out your, I invite you to take out your Connect card as well. It says to be friends in the black bar on the front of the card. It says Connect card. Pull out your Connect card. We all do this, whether we're longtime attenders or guests, it doesn't matter. If you just take a moment and fill out, just scribble in your name, your email address. By the way, there's going to be some material offered, and so thank you for putting that email address as legibly as you can. Write it there on the uh, front side of the Connect card. You fill out the demographic information that's pertinent to you, what you're comfortable with. And then would you turn the card over, please? We call this the next step side of the card. I want to give you an invitation. There are three little boxes here today. Box number one, I would like to know how to become a disciple of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the deal. There's some of you right now, I've been going on and on about this, being a disciple and all, and you're saying to yourself, you're saying in your heart, you know what, I'm, I'm not a disciple of Jesus. I don't even follow him. If, now here's the deal, if you would like to follow Jesus, you've never followed him before, if you would like to become a new disciple, if you put your email address on the front side of this card within 48 hours, we will send you a little packet on how to become a follower of Jesus. Nobody's going nobody's to come knocking at your door. We'll do it all in cyberspace. But why wait, another, why wait another week in the new year? Why not become a follower of Christ? Just put a little check mark there. I want to be a disciple. We'll send you the information. You and Jesus, work it out. But why wait? Say, oh, man, I want to be one of these disciples. I just don't feel a part. No, you can be a part. You can come to Jesus. You can come to Jesus in cyberspace. So put a check mark right there. We're going to receive these in just a split second. The box number two, I want to become a disciple maker like Jesus. I know you do. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Come on, do I put a check mark? Okay, I will. Why not? I want to become a disciple maker like Jesus. If you put a check mark in number two, then 
put a check mark, please, in number three, the last line there. I would like to grow as a disciple by joining a grow group and hear my, my first three choices. Because as Jesus taught, it, you, you, there are no lone rangers who become disciples. You do it in a group. There's, there's something about community that's essential, the master teaches us. So you say, do I, I, I don't know which one to put down. I mean, I look at this catalog. There's another one in your worship bulletin today. I'm not sure which one. You put anyone down you wish. Now, I, if I might just offer a suggestion. We have four sections, as I mentioned a moment ago, of the Contagious Adventist. We'd love to have you sign up for that. Eventually, you know, my dream would be that every one of us has been through Contagious Adventist, every single one of us. Why? Because it's about disciple-making, and it's how we turn around and do it ourselves. You pick one of those four sections. You pick the day that works best for you and the time. Just scribble it down. And if you want to put the other two down as well, we'll make sure you get in one of these brand new. This is the first time we've offered this material. We'll make sure you get into one of those, one of those uh, sections. Please, by the way, when you write that code down, do it legibly. We, we need the first two letters because that's the day of the week. So if you see a W-E, what day would that be? It'd be Wednesday. When we, when we see Wednesday, we know, oh, that's the one you're in. Just the number itself won't help us. This little card and your choice today could be a huge, a giant step in your following Jesus and becoming a disciple maker. I'm excited for what it offers us. And if the Spirit is tugging at your heart and saying, hey, go ahead, put a check mark there, I wish you would. You'll never regret it for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh, God. We want to be disciples. It's just... It's just it's what we want to be, a master who has gone to Calvary, willing to give up life for eternity, to win our hearts. I want to be a slave. But he says, no, I want you to be disciples. I want you to follow me. We'll do it together. Oh, Father, every heart that's saying, I, 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 want, I want to do this, give, give him, give her the grace, make a decision. Step out of the comfort zone, step out, step away from my fears and be what you need. Be what you need us to be. We return these decisions to you. We return our morning tithes and offerings. Take all of this, multiply it. You're the great reproducer. Multiply all of this for building up your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.